gentlemen, boys, and girls, welcome back to another captivating, thrilling episode of the Vigilant Geek Podcast. I'm Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me, as always, my comic book partner in crime, Hold an Orm. Hold an Orm! The man with the facts. He is the uh, human common comic book and pop culture encyclopedia. I don't know where I'd be in life without him. Uh, in fact, Holden, I think we should just dedicate that this episode to you, my friend. Oh, uh, we can talk about all the new things I'm doing. I'm the I'm now the Mouse Man. This is the very first Vigilant Geek independently recorded podcast. We are off the training wheels. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, we had, uh, Nathan Burke, uh, who's a, a New England stand-up comedian. He's, he's actually one of our, uh, uh, big analysts here at Vigilant Geek Media as well. Um, you know, he's also the owner and operator of, of Hotcast Studios. Um, and he has been facilitating our recordings, uh, up until this point. Uh, but I understand he gave you a tutorial, Holden, and uh, we're cooking with gas at this stage of the game. We plan on releasing uh, much more content. Season 2 is going to continue from here on out to be uh, much more consistent. It's going to be lots of fun. we got a lot of great stuff planned uh, for the rest of Season 2. We kind of just kicked it off a few episodes ago. But, uh, you know, we're going to do another anime like we did in Season 1. We're going to talk about Dragon Ball Z. Uh, we are going to do another big movie podcast where we talk about uh, some Quentin Tarantino films. Uh, we'll have Mark Gallagher, another Vigilant Geek uh, media analyst and uh, stand-up comic as well. He'll be back on the show for that. He's our resident movie buff. Uh, we'll talk about, talk some Tarantino. We got a lot of great stuff in store. We got, uh, of course, there'll be, uh, another WWE podcast, as well as updates on, uh, various comic book universes, uh, obviously Marvel and DC, and not negating, uh, Valiant, Vertigo, Image, uh, Dark Horse, and others, uh, as well as indie books, cause, uh, we haven't done it in a while, um, and I think a big reason for that was probably has to do with the fact that it's been a little while since we've been to a local con. Uh, it's just things have been busy setting up the new Vigilant Geek uh, headquarters um, with the podcast studio and this and that. But uh, now that we're cooking with gas, like I said, um, we're, expect more con coverage out of us as well. Just expect more from these Vigilant Geeks that might not have been so vigilant over the past few months. Uh, the transition period uh, has finished, and we are ready to for blast-off time here. Uh, season 2 is going to be just jam-packed with great, great content, and uh, I know Holden's with me in saying we cannot wait to share it with you vigilant geeks out there. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, introduce the topic this week. This week, uh, Holden, you and I have decided to do an analysis and review of the major motion picture that is still out in theaters right now, DC Comics Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so... 
a lot of controversy so far has kind of surrounded the film. Uh, a lot of film critics were not happy with it whatsoever, giving it very low reviews, just very irritated with it. Whereas the fan base has responded really well. The fan base is a lot, they love this movie and it showed. I guess they were breaking some financial records for like first weekend. Now, I didn't actually get a chance to read up too much about that, but I did hear that, uh, Batman versus Superman did really well in the global box offices. Uh, you know, uh, I guess, you know, especially over in Asia, Japan, what have you, people loved it. Um, but yeah, uh, what you were getting at talking about how this movie was really sort of uh, made for the fans, it certainly was, um, it was, you know, that's, and that's kind of, you know, the big difference between, uh, Marvel's cinematic universe and then the, uh, cinematic universe that DC is trying to, to get going is that Marvel, and, and they sort of have an ability to do this, and, and it's very smart, and it's a, it, it's a great model, and it works for them, but they, they make movies, Marvel Studios makes movies that try to cater to as many different demographics and many different types of people, uh, as possible. Uh, obviously they incorporate a lot of great casting and humor to accomplish this, and also keep in mind that a lot of I mean, not all, but a lot of Marvel's uh, uh, storylines can be a lot lighter than DC's, I will say, especially uh, if you want to talk about Batman and stuff, but we'll get into that. So, so yeah, uh, you know, I personally, uh, I was blown away. Um, now, I, I, I wouldn't give it a perfect score, uh, by any means, there were things that I will, uh, pick apart myself and, and things that, that I, I would change about the film. But as a whole, um, as, you know, a movie that is just, you can just tell is so blatantly made for the comic book fan and, and it actually pays homage. The movie itself, you know, we're gonna try to stay away from spoilers, but the movie itself pays homage to, uh, well, quite a few different Big DC story arcs, which may not have actually been the greatest thing to do, because they, once again, kind of like Man of Steel, they, they crammed a lot in there, but, um, you know, you have, uh, homage to, uh, Dark Knight Returns in there, obviously, with, you know, the confrontations between Batman and Superman. And then you have, some uh, Death of Superman. Right, correct. Death of Superman, which, you know, in my opinion, and, and, and we're gonna talk about things we'd change, but that was probably like numero uno for me was, that's a great story. Death of Superman's a great story, but you don't try to cram it into the last 45 minutes of a movie or last half hour of a movie. That is like a, a big, you know, meal to, 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 to digest. You know, the death of Superman was a monumental story arc in the history of comic books. It was, uh, to my knowledge, the first uh, official death of a major marquee comic book character that was, you know, advertised as like a, you know, a big event, you know, a big, and it was, it was a big, big, big DC event. And uh, it was basically, <clears throat> pardon me, it was basically just a big fight scene. Death of Superman was just a fight scene between uh, Doomsday, obviously, and... Uh, Man of Steel, and uh, obviously it ends with, uh, 
you know, Superman and Doomsday kind of, you know, throwing the last punch at each other and both of them hit the pavement at like the same time. It's like basically a draw, but like they're both like dead afterwards. It's like, you know, the Man of Steel has to go out fighting hard, obviously, but he had finally like, you know, met his match and, and exercised his last dying breath fighting this monster to that Luther fucking, pardon my French, Lex Luthor, uh, created, um, you know, in order to, in order to save the planet, save us humans. What a guy, huh? Yeah, they, that's one of my big gripes with this movie is, uh, I did like the movie by the way, but one of the big gripes with it was that, uh, they, they, two really well known, very deep, intricate storylines, Death of Superman and The Dark Knight Returns, uh, got crammed into this one and then i think there's some influences from some other stuff too i just feel like they should have made a different movie the cast was amazing i loved the cast oh the casting was phenomenal henry and... cable is amazing as superman and then ben affleck was, oh. was on point as bruce wayne and batman and and there is nobody i all those all those batfleck haters have have shut their mouths uh, you can tell if you go to all, you know, the, the, the groups on, on, on the internet, social media, the whole tone has changed. Like Affleck, he, you know, regardless of how this movie did, and, and you know, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, they gave it a 28%, and I think, you know, I, I hate Rotten Tomatoes. I don't, you know, I hate critics in general. We've talked about this. Critics, you know, will sit back and judge, and most of them don't know how to create something like this uh themselves at all it's it's like you know a 28 percent that no way no way it it didn't deserve that kind of a score rotten tomatoes can go shit in a hat i'll just say that right now but um no ben affleck uh he earned like the respect of bat fans uh with his first appearance on screen as the dark knight i mean Everything from, you know, his Bruce Wayne was on point. They even showed that sort of half smile that he does when he first meets Clark Kent at that Luther party mm. gala event. You know, that, like, he, he mentions how, like, oh, Batman's, uh, something about Batman being too brutal to the criminals and how he's a criminal too. And how, you know, then he said, you know, he says that quote about how, uh, you know, I guess it's the Gotham City in me. I'm just sick of, uh, freaks dressed up like clowns or, or something to that to that extent you know but you know making fun of you know the fact he knows he's superman and and, and superman knows that he's batman you know it, it, superman can figure that out in two seconds um but that half smile going back to that that little half smile that affleck does that is straight out of batman the animated series which is like probably the most definitive uh Bat media in regards to bat history that is not in graphic novel form. Probably, you know, it tells the story better than, than, I mean, you get the Dark Knight trilogy, the movies, but, but the whole Batman story and all the rogues as a whole, you know, so that Bruce Wayne, you know, all of us grew up with, with Kevin Conroy and, and that Bruce Wayne and that half smile that he does when he's playing the part of Bruce Wayne and he's talking to whoever, the socialites of Gotham or, or, you know, and he knows he can, he, he can just, he's such a great detective. He can tell like how shitty everyone else is around him and all he can do is that damn fake smile because, you know, he's Bruce Wayne. He's playing a part. He's not Batman, you know, he's Batman. 
Like, Bruce is definitely Batman. He plays Bruce Wayne as a character. Everyone knows that. But, yeah, Affleck does that same thing. And not, you know, the fact that he, he looks just like Bruce Wayne from the animated series anyways. Finally, we have a Batman with the, the, the correct stature. You know, Bale was a great Batman in my opinion. Uh, awful Bruce Wayne. He didn't have the stature or, you know, a good Bruce Wayne voice. Uh, Michael Keaton, amazing Batman and a great Bruce Wayne as well. A very charismatic and almost quirky, uh, Bruce Wayne. It was awesome. He was almost like, you know, really showing off. Tim Burton did a great job of not only showing off, uh, Jack Nicholson, the Joker's, uh, psychosis, obviously, in that movie. Uh, but also, uh, Bruce Wayne's psychosis as well. You know, he is not a normal human being by any means. So anyways, but once again, Michael Keaton, not the right stature. He's a little guy. He, you know, he's too small for Batman. I mean, they made, he made a great Batman. But finally, Affleck, Affleck looks the part. He sounds the part. His bat voice is amazing. It is on point. It's not like Bear Man from the, you know, the Bale trilogy. With, you know, where are the other drugs going? Swear to me! You know, but it's like, just that deep, booming, like, almost like, you know, if you watch the Dark Knight Returns animated feature with Peter Weller doing the voice of Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. Um, now, it's not exactly like that, because Peter Weller obviously has, like, a very unique voice, but, like, really, like, deep but powerful and booming, like, like Batman voice, but it's not overkill. Like, Bale was, you know, Bale's always been criticized for, you it know... It wasn't that bad in the first movie. That, it the, got the, worse, yeah, it got worse. Was, he didn't become, like, a death metal singer until, like, the, like the other two. Exactly, yeah, by the third yeah. one, he was, like, fronting, a, like, a deathcore band. Yeah, no, like, by the time Dark Knight Rises came around, uh, you couldn't, you wouldn't understand, uh, half of, of, of Bale's dialogue in that movie. You have to watch it a few times, cause it's like, it's, gotta stop Bane! You know, it's, it, it started, like, you know, in Batman Begins, if you go back and you watch Batman Begins, it's funny, cause, uh, he doesn't talk like that. He talks, you know, he's got a little bit of that raspiness, a little bit of that, you know, he's trying a little too hard to have the deep voice, but it works because it's not quite overkill at that point. But, you know, then The Dark Knight, probably like my one single only qualm with that movie. It's, it is my favorite movie, uh, just ever, my top movie ever. I'll just say it. Dark Knight trilogy, my favorite movies. Um, but my, my one qualm is, yeah, the voice, the bat voice, you know, he had it down in the first movie and he just took it a little overkill in the second movie. And then by the third movie, you got it. He's like, a, he's like, you know, the lead singer, uh, Slipknot or something. But yeah, Affleck just, he is Batman. And, you know, he's going to be Batman for a long time. I mean, they're, you know, DC's trying to do what Marvel has already done the past 15 years with their cinematic universe where, you know, each movie is sort of working towards uh, connecting to another movie or another character's movie or a team movie like the Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, well, DC is going to be doing the same thing. In fact, if you're looking forward to seeing Suicide Squad coming up, uh, I think it's coming up in June, I want to say. Uh, Affleck's in that as Batman as well. Batman plays a huge role in that movie, and we talked about this way back in season one. But uh, Amanda Waller, who is the 
covert government official, I guess you could say, um, who puts together the Suicide Squad, the band of criminals that uh, are allowed to go on extremely dangerous missions for the government in lieu of jail time. Um, well, the first mission that she has a Suicide Squad work on is, you know, find me the goddamn Batman. This guy is destroying millions of dollars worth of, of property in Gotham City. He's got, mili- you know, even better than, than military-grade weaponry. Um, he clearly has access to satellites. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And clearly, you know, he must be a crazy person. He must be dangerous, and we have to put him away. So enter Suicide Squad, ragtag group of villains, and uh, their job supposedly, Amanda Waller sticks them on the Joker because the Joker at that point is the only viable person that has dealt with the Batman face-to-face because the Batman is supposed to be, at least in this cinematic universe, and it typically is actually in most of the books, you know, sort of like this boogeyman uh, for, for you know, evildoers. Um, but he's sort of like an urban legend. You know, people think they see him or they've seen him or some people don't believe in him. Nobody knows for sure. They haven't got, like, really clear. They've gotten footage of him, but... It hasn't been real clear because he, he he operates like you know like 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 such a uh, sneaky little bat for lack of you know a better way to say it right now. But um, whoo, I gotta tell you, um, just so going. That, wait a minute, so that's the the Suicide Squad movie that is coming out. Yes. What like within the next couple months? Yes, and and that's the reasoning for the Joker being in the movie. I mean, a lot of people were disappointed when well, they people heard. People probably freaked out and thought they, they thought try he was... to stick him on the Suicide Squad. Exactly. Where all the Joker worshippers out there probably freaked out and I'm like, "Whoa, there's no way you could tame a force of nature like the Joker like that." Well, I mean that that it sort of is. You know, I agree though. You really can't. The Joker is just. I mean. He's just, he's, he's not only unpredictable, but he's, you know, he's got a psychosis about him where he thinks basically like life in, you know, human life is a joke, basically, uh, because his life was destroyed in basically a single day. And, uh, I think that's a quote from The Killing Joke, that Alan Moore, uh, Batman Joker story popular one uh, drawn by Brett Boland, which they're making into a uh, animated feature that is, in fact, rated R, so it is not for children, nor should it be. That story was never meant for, for the, the younger crowd. Do they have a release date on that yet? I don't know. I know it's in production, though. It's definitely in production. But, um, yeah, th- this, this quote that the Joker has from that story where all it you know, the only difference between, uh, you and me is just one bad day. Um, cause obviously, you, you know, from that 
Joker origin story written by Alan Moore, which is the, from what I understand, the most viable Joker origin written so far. Well, I think that was the only one. I, I mean, think- well, Snyder and Capullo just did their Joker origin in the first half of Zero Year, but that sort of paid homage too to the Alan Moore one. It, it didn't change too much. It so. wasn't much of a Joker origin. It was the Red Hood. And well, still yeah. Don't know who the Red Hood is? It was the Joker though, because he fell in the vat of toxic chemicals. It was supposed to be, or, or maybe it was just Snyder and Capullo trying to, you know, play with their readers' minds because they love doing that too. Well, that so. well that happened, and then Joker found the Dinosium in, in Endgame. Yeah, but remember, zero years. They found all the pictures of him in newspapers like years back. So yeah, uh, yeah, but but remember, uh, zero year was supposed to take place way before Death of the Family, way before Court of Owls, way before Endgame. So what Endgame basically does is pick things. He picks things up from where Death of the Family left off. Because remember, for all that whole so period... He, he just found it after he washed down the river, healed, and then pretended to be that guy? Well, we don't know how he found it. Um, but yeah, that's a really good assumption. Absolutely. Yeah. You, I mean, oftentimes, and that's the coolest yet creepiest thing about the Joker, is things like that aren't really explained. Because... You know, I feel like the Joker shouldn't have an origin, not because I like solid, yeah. but it's just because it's a lot easier to work with the character. You can tell better stories that way. I I actually you could, said I could not. Stone. It's just yeah. no. I agree with you. I I could not agree with you more. In fact, that probably is one of the reasons why I love the Dark Knight so much, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight, because he, the originless Heath Ledger Joker is so much scarier to like. You know, the, you know, they had him like you know his fingerprints didn't show up anywhere. He didn't have any ID, just nothing in his pockets, but knives and lint. And it's like, yeah, this guy is like a legit. Psycho from the underground who like has erased his identity and become this this thing, this creepy killer clown. And it's you know I do kind of like the origin where he's the failed stand-up comic who turns to a life of crime and is used as a fall guy by the Red Hood gang when they're he, trying to blow up Ac- Acme Chemicals. And he goes insane. Yeah, yeah, and Batman is responsible for creating the Joker because uh, he uh, let him fall into the vat of toxic chemicals, yada, yada. But um, I don't know. I think the originless Joker is just... It brings like a more of a of like a horror element to the character because obviously you can go f- a couple of different ways with the Joker, but he obviously works best when when he is you know like like Snyder and Capullo did so well with like making him a horror element where he really is this crazy killer. Like well, he's evolved so much over the years. He's gone from just this kooky clown guy who has henchmen to like a guy who's doing stuff on his own, like. Like, like, blatantly killing people, gassing people, chemically assaulting people, nuclear bombs, um, to now he's just turned into, like, this serial killer sociopath, and then, and then people like serial killers in this country. I mean, I think he's a great character, but I, I don't understand Joker worship too much. It can get pretty creepy. Well, you know, I equate that to, like, you know, I, I used to work as a bouncer at a nightclub in Worcester, and, 
I got to tell you, my least favorite crowd was the Juggalos when the insane clown posse and the Cottonmouth Kings came to town. It was always my least favorite show to work. In fact, uh, I got stabbed with uh, a decent-sized box cutter one time for taking uh, Juggalos drugs and, you know, it, but a lot of these people that, that worship these, you know, insane clown posse guys, you know, like... Uh, I don't know. They, they might not have the best outlook when it comes to ethics and morals. I'll say that maybe it's probably the best way to go about it. Well, same, you know, might be able to be said about these Joker worshipers. But then think about how many Batman worshipers there are out there too. Oh yeah. So it's sort of there. You know, it's funny. Just like in physics, when there, there's always, you know, uh, every action has has an equal and opposite reaction. Always. The universe always resets itself. It's always in equilibrium. Well, it's just proven more and more again that, that there's just as much good as there is evil in this world, a.k.a. just as many Batman fans as there are Joker fans. It's just... It's just one of those things, I guess. Yeah. They also paid homage to him in the movie a little bit. Did you see the Robin costume? Had that, oh, yeah. Uh, with Aha, now the joke's on you. Yeah, on yeah. It. Like, a, like a, a Jason Todd shout-out. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I forget the actor's name, but uh, the, the young man who played the lead role in Kingsman, I've heard rumors that they're trying to cast him as Jason Todd, and apparently the rumors about... The first, and this is actually brand new news about the, the solo Batman movies that are being scripted right now by both Ben Affleck and DC's, uh, oh, big sure exec Jeff Johns. We'll, we'll hear a title by the end of the summer. Well, I believe it's con, it's con season. That's going to drop. You're going to hear that. Yeah, it'll drop. And I am, I'd bet you a thousand dollars it's going to be under the red hood. Uh, they're going to, they're going to finally, uh, do the Jason Todd story. And I'm sure a death in the family is going to be a big part, uh, you know, especially with what the Joker did to Jason when he was the second Robin. I think the type of Batman stuff they have going on right now has a lot to build on. Uh, they can bring in so many other different characters now. We just got a taste. Like, like, oh, yeah. Like We're going to so get all the whole Bat family. I bet they're going to bring in Night. Uh, they're going to have like a Nightwing, a Red Robin. Well, they got Batgirl. Batgirl. Jenna Malone apparently is playing Batgirl. Already uh, signed up, really? Yeah, and uh, a lot of people thought she was going to be Carrie Kelly, be the the you know Robin from Dark Knight Returns, who I actually love. It's probably one of she's one of my favorite Robins, but uh, that's not the case. Jenna Malone, and she's a gorgeous redheaded actress. Uh, she looks like Barbara Gordon. And oh, and speaking of Barbara Gordon, guess who's already cast to play? Uh, her father, Commissioner Jim Gordon. Um, is it Gary Oldman again? No, I mean Gary Oldman was was like perfect. He was, was phenomenal. But they got probably the next best guy. Besides, uh, I've always thought Brian Cranston would have made a great Jim Gordon. He's he would have been awesome. But oh yeah, he um, really and good. I think he was in talks a little bit about the role. But they actually they went with J.K. Simmons, who is infamous for his role uh as J. Jonah Jameson in the original Toby Maguire 
uh, Spider-Man movies. Oh, wow. Well, it looks like he won't be J.J. anytime soon then. No, no. So, uh, in the, Mar- you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, obviously, we're gonna see our first glimpse of Spider-Man next month when Civil War comes out. Uh, there'll be Spider-Man movies. In fact, the first Spider-Man movie that is currently being scripted is called Homecoming. Uh, it's supposed to be like a coming of age type Spider-Man story. I think they're trying to do away with Spider-Man origin stories for now because they've, I mean, they've done it. It's overkill. Oh my goodness. Uh, Tobey yeah. Maguire and Andrew Garfield. They've had origin after origin. Uh, so I think it's going to be just like a straight up, no nonsense, smash mouth Spider-Man film. I don't know who the big villain will be, but, uh, it seems promising, but it also seems lighthearted and sort of coming of age because I think, you know, this is all just speculation and it's all my own opinion, but it seems to me like Spider-Man is the character that is going to be Disney's vehicle to the youngest crowds, you know, the youngest viewers, the youngest, you know, it's going to be their their vehicle. Like Spider-Man is supposed to be a kid in the movie. Tom Holland's he's supposed to play like a freshman or a sophomore in high school. These movies are going to take place with him in high school, but as Spider-Man, sort of like the way uh Stan originally wrote the character, you know, back in the 60s and what have you. So um you know, it's something where uh you know, sort of like how children, you know, when Robin first showed up in, in detective comics. Uh, Robin was created as a character that children could identify as and, 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 you know, identify with and say like, like, you know, Oh, Robin could be any kid, you know, like, and they could go along with Batman on his adventures and, you know, uh, help him fight crime. And it helped children imagine themselves side by side with the dark Knight. Well, this is sort of something similar where it's like, Oh, he's just a kid and he's a superhero. He's like, the one character that children will be able to identify with and say like, oh, hey, like, you know, maybe I could be Spider-Man, like I could be in the Marvel Universe as Spider-Man, you know, it seems to be sort of like, you know, what they're going for. I could be wrong, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, I think whatever it is, I think they're going to clean up. Spider-Man's their most marketable character Marvel has. I mean, if anybody's an iconic character at Marvel, it's Spider-Man. And apparently now he's the, he's the real legacy of Stan Lee. Um, oh yeah, no Spider-Man. I mean, he made all those other characters, but Spider-Man's get like that garbage one. out of here, Stan. <laughs> no one wants to read a story about a bug. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Spider-Man and Ant-Man steal box offices and 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 what have you. So there you go. It's been been good stuff. Lots of people want to read about bugs. What are you talking about? Yeah. So anyways, Batman uh, ba- versus yeah. Superman. <laughs> yeah, back to, we got a little tangent, but, uh, now it's all still pertinent to comics, but yeah, back to the movie. So, you know, we discussed how, you know, the casting, although, um, the, ca- would, the casting was excellent. Um, the uh, movie itself was good. I just feel they should have just with the, with the characters they had and the costumes were excellent and the special effects were great. Man, special just, effects were on point. The CGI for like, you know, I think they just needed a new script. They should have just done a Justice League Origins film. I agree. Out I the agree. gate, they were or everything was already set up from it from the la- from Man of Steel. I agree. So then you come in and you you, you it's basically like a seven million dollar tease that they just but got everybody. With. You know, if you think about it in a way, 
you know, if you, uh, if you watch like Justice League War or read, uh, Justice League Origins, <clears throat> you know, the first thing that happens when the Bat of Gotham meets the, you know, alien of Krypton, what do they do? Well, they fight. Well, I mean, Green Lantern was in the picture for that, you know, uh, in Justice League War at least, but, um, you know, you can't cram everybody into a movie, but like maybe what Zack Snyder decided was, all right, well, let's take a piece of that from Justice League Origins. Like, how do I present Justice League on screen? How do I get there? How do I get to Justice League? Well, let's take the two big mark or the, the all right, let's say the big three characters in DC, the top three. You got Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Um, and let's just, you know, that's enough for for the audience to to take in that you know you don't want to give them too much you don't want to have you know a feature film that just automatically uh just shovels in you know seven characters hey here they are and they're joining I, forces I can see how something like that would be easy to ru- like mess up I'm I'm just saying that they had the potential to make something oh, yeah. so much better than what they did. Well, I see all. I see your side of it too because I think you're right when you when you've said and I I I know you said this where DC shouldn't be following Marvel's cinematic universe model, they shouldn't be having these movies, you know, intertwine like Marvel does with, you know, recurring characters. What they should be doing is just Covering big story arcs, making movies out of big story arcs. You cast who, you know, you want to play each character in the arc. I want Ezra Miller as the Flash in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Justice League, Crisis on Infinite Earths. There you go. That's, that's a movie right there. That's probably a two-parter, actually. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I mean and I see, it's I see biggest, that, but the biggest story arc they ever did. And it's still affecting them now to this day. Like, it's still shaking the DCU. Well, yeah, every, crisis. all the crisis books and, and, you know, obviously you got Convergence, which didn't, you know, do too much, but, um, yeah, ever since Crisis on Infinite Earths, all the way up, and, uh, you know, not that I, I haven't dove into Crisis yet. You let me borrow your copy of Crisis on Infinite Earths. I have to dive into that soon, but, um, you know, one thing I can say is, 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 you know, if you are a comic book aficionado and you read DC, you're never going to stop hearing the word crisis. I'll just leave it at that. And, uh, from what I understand, they're pretty great stories, so there's nothing wrong with that. You know, maybe when we do one of our, uh, uh, analyses of famous story arcs, uh, podcast episodes where, you know, we, we're going to try to analyze some, uh, of our favorite, uh, story arcs within comic book history. Uh, maybe, uh, one of the ones we can do when the time comes and I've caught up is, is do, uh, an episode on, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. But, uh, not to get too far off task. Um, let's talk about just a, a, a little bit more about the casting here. Um, is I actually had a couple of qualms with it. Um, I loved Gal Gadot. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, as Wonder Woman, I think the reason why I loved her is because I am a, uh, uh, heterosexual male. Uh, it's kind of hard not to be a fan, but, uh, she had hardly any dialogue, which I didn't like. Uh, you know, Diana Prince is, is sort of like, you know, 
uh, a super powerful Xena the warrior princess in a way. Like she has battle cries and she she's speaks her mind and she's a strong woman. And, you know, Gal might have had like maybe five or six lines in the movie. I mean, it, it was more like they were trying to like use her for eye candy. I mean, I think the Wonder Woman movie that's being made right now, I've seen some set pictures. I've read a little bit about the plot synopsis. I think they're going to do it justice and I think it's going to be great. Uh, but I just I've, thought I've seen some of the screenshots from that. You have, it, okay. It does look good. You got Chris Pine playing Steve Trevor. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it looks really promising and like I have a lot of faith in Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. Uh, but, the, the the other thing that I will say is uh, her her accent tripped me up a little bit. I have never known Diana Prince to ever have like you know a thick accent kind of like Gal Gadot has. It would make sense though, since she's from the Mediterranean. It actually would make sense. Maybe well, that, the character and her. Maybe I mean, that actually both, maybe they both have that. So it would make it would make tons of sense. Well, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. everyone thinks like Wonder Woman's white bread American woman, but like she's not. She's not even close. She's like this tall Amazonian Mediterranean woman. She's really something, I tell you. Who's got like bloodlines with Zeus, and she can punch stuff crazy good. Crazy good at punching stuff. And, uh, well, she's, she's one of the most powerful characters in the DCU. People, uh, she did get a tend more to forget showcase that. than the other characters. Everyone else was just like, uh, a, a one minute file on a, something that, uh, Batman hacked off a Luke Luthor's computer. Yeah. You got the little clips of, uh, the other super, the superhumans. And Aquaman was there and for like a quick little snippet. And, and then... Cyborg, his snippet was actually really cool. Uh, they showed him like being like put together by his dad, uh, si- Silas or Silas Stone. Uh, his dad's kind of a jerk. I hope they show that in the Justice League movie. But, uh, yeah, I thought that the cyborg stuff was really cool. I like cyborg as a character. Now, let's talk Ezra Miller as the Flash. He, I, they're trying to pass him off as Barry Allen. He's got like a goddamn ponytail and, uh, I don't know. I mean, looks-wise, I haven't seen him in the role really yet, except for, like, a short snippet. His costume, his Flash uniform looks nothing like it does in the comics. Uh, you know, I, I, I always wondered, like, what the hell? Can't we make an exception here and put Grant Gustin in the Justice League and Steve Amell, you know? Grant Gustin's Flash is fucking is Barry Allen's Flash. Like that is the Flash. Well, you think they're they're gonna try to do the the I don't know if they're really smart. They could do this thing where they do like there's the movie universe characters and then there's their parallels on the television, and then somehow like Earth, like it's Earth two, Earth and then they could go ahead because that's like crossing dimensions is DC's favorite thing to do. Marvel loves to go back in time. That's Marvel's thing. And then Infinity Or Stones. the future, yeah. Marvel does the time traveling. Going back. Going time, space, forward, continuum. Yeah. Back, forth. But no, we like to go to dimensions and different realities. It's DC's thing. So if they take those two great things that they have, if they nurture the movie stuff, they could have them both cross over between each other. But uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes because they're doing, I don't know. They did Earth 2 and The Flash this season. And I don't know. I mean, Marvel's trying to do it with their... You know, their one T 
TV show supposed to cross over, but they haven't yet had like uh, Agents, major, Agents of Shield. Like they haven't know, had a major television star on there. Like like uh, well, no, not a major television star. Oh, like, oh, yeah, like your yeah. Robert Downey Juniors or your or your Chris Hemsworth hey, or, or, or Chris get Evans. Chris Evans is ass in there. Captain America liaisons with Shield constantly. Get Sam Wilson for Christ's sake. Uh, I forget Anthony Mackie. Get get him playing the Falcon. Get him in there. Uh, I mean, I could see having some trouble getting Scarlett Johansson. I know she's been filming a lot lately. She's supposed to be doing uh, uh, a version of Ghost in the Shell right now. That's right. And, uh, People are freaking out because it's like, oh, well, that's an Asian woman character. Yeah, right? I, I, I have to say that, like, you know, if the character is meant to be a certain ethnicity, I've always felt like it should just stay put whatever it is. Like, don't portray the character as, you know... Scarlett Johansson portray it as you know it was written and drawn. Well, I'm, I'm, she's a great actress. I'm sure she. Will. Oh, she's it's, phenomenal. Just had, no just question. Had the there. makeup done. Some people are like, oh, they should have got an Asian woman to go and do the role. And I don't know. I guess this is one of the situations where I like. I would like to see it. I don't know. Ghost in the Shell. I remember watching that anime, and it was kind of. I don't know. It was out there. I had some few moments of like, some excitement, but actually, it's just uh, in the end, it was kind of a snoozer for me. So I don't know. I wonder what this live action is going to be much better. Plus, there's mm. a lot of nudity in that in that anime. Oh, I wonder if Scarlett Johansson is going to be like tits out the entire movie. Well, let me, let me let me tell you something. It's very important because if that is the case, I mean, and if it's not rated, uh, you know, X, and and it can be, you know. Uh, screened in theaters, which hopefully, you know, we can get the post, be- uh, get the best of both worlds and have that happen. But, um, I have to say, any movie where, where Scarlett Johansson shows skin like that, uh, is gonna do a hell of a lot better than anything else that's coming out anytime soon. I'll tell you that much. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's common, uh, common sense. Scarlett Johansson, you know, she's not wearing clothes. I mean, yeah. even when she's wearing clothes, when she's, like, dressed as Black Widow and I'm watching, you know, the Avengers like I do so often, like... I should probably rewatch the anime. Sometimes I need to take a little break and just, you know, think about Scarlet. You know, but I won't oh, get... Oh, Scarlet. I, w- I won't get too far into that. Uh, let's keep things, uh, professional and PG. Yeah. So, um, so I guess the, the next thing to talk about, like, it was what, what the DC's next step is. Now, the, the movie's come out, um, fairly decent. Um, I feel like they just didn't live up to the potential of what they had. They had so many things going. But, but that just means yeah. that the, the future films will definitely be good. And at the very least, we know that we're, we're gonna get some of the greatest Batman films we've seen in a long time. Oh yeah. Well, you look at what Jeff Johns has done. I mean, Jeff Johns, you know, sort of made a name for himself at DC, reviving titles like Green Lantern, The Flash. Uh, just, you know, he's been working on Justice League for a long time. But, uh, you know, he's done some work, uh, you know, with the characters of Gotham City as well. And his most prominent work, uh, would be the, the Batman Earth One series. They just put out Earth One Volume Two, uh, last year. I read it. It's phenomenal. Uh, it's a little bit of a different take on the Bat story. They, you know, Jeff Johns took a few liberties and changed a few things, but, 
I personally wasn't too butthurt about it. Um, but, you know, I would expect, because Jeff Johns, you can tell he's strong writing certain characters, you know? Like, he has done an amazing job writing characters like, you know, Oswald Cobblepot the Penguin. Uh, he did an amazing Penguin. Uh, guys like Falcone and Maroney, the gangsters, he wrote them so well. Uh, then you got, uh, other characters like, uh, for, from volume two, like Killer Croc. We already know he's part of the cinematic universe. I'm sure I, I, I would bet another thousand dollars Jeff Johns uses him at some point in one of those movies. Uh, the Riddler. Jeff Johns, uh, was, you know, probably the first, uh, well, I wouldn't say the first. I, I'm not, up on my like famous Riddler story arcs, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, but the first writer that I've read that has taken the Riddler and really taken like the the you know psychotic, e uh, narcissistic, egomaniacal serial killer, like almost like the Zodiac uh, kind of approach with the Riddler, where it's like a, you know like a big murder mystery and. The Riddler, you know, at the end, because he has this quirk where he has to be the smartest and he's so narcissistic and into himself that he has to make sure you know it was him that did that committed the murder. Well, the way Jeff Johns portrays that character especially is just it was so well done. It was so creepy and suspenseful and realistic because there's been people like Ted Bundy and the Zodiac out there in real life that have acted this way. Um, crazy stuff, but it's, it's, it's like, it's realistic and it's awesome. I would not be surprised to see all these characters that Jeff Johns has written in these, uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to be paid homage to the Earth One stories, uh, within this new Batman trilogy. Uh, even with the first movie supposedly being slated, uh, for, uh, you know, the Under the Red Hood story arc. Well, it's usually, what, like three years from, from the date it's announced? It doesn't take too Typically, long. Typically, yeah. Most of the time is done in pre-production and post-production, and the actual filming of the movie doesn't really take it all that long, in a couple of weeks. Ah, okay. So, what else? But then you got to wait and then get a year for ramp up for marketing and hype it up and then release it and then... Put out a bunch of trailers that fucking spoil the whole thing. Yeah, buddy. Like, oh. like, like every franchise now does. But, uh, I can't believe Marvel, I, not to go on another tangent, I swear this is the last one, but it really pisses me off that Marvel went ahead and, uh, released that last trailer where, you know, they, they, they introduce every member of Captain America's team. It's like, well, I already know that information because I couldn't help myself but to go research and find out, but there's a lot of people out there that don't read the books or maybe want to be surprised or maybe don't want to know. It's like, well, too bad because we just, you know, uh, invaded your television, your cable TV with this amazing spoiler of who's on whose team. It's like, you know, no, some people want to be surprised by that shit. Like, I knew already, but I was still pissed. Yeah. Um, I'm already ready for the movie. I just feel like yeah. some, some movies don't need trailers. Like Star Wars. They should never put out another Star Wars they don't trailer. Need, they don't need to. As a matter, they don't need to spend any money marketing it. All they need to do is have a press release of the day that day it's it comes coming out, out. Yeah. And then the people will show up. And then people are going to be like, oh, I loved it. It was, 
I didn't even know what it was going to be, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Of course <laughs> not, because you weren't. Your head wasn't filled with shit by trailers. Exactly. Like that, that one trailer they did, where it was just like the the whole Han Solo monologue about the Force being real and everything. Yeah, it's probably one of the greatest parts of the movie, and you can watch it on YouTube whenever you want because it was part of the fucking trailer. Right. Yeah, unfortunate. They're very unfortunate. Rookie mistakes, I tell you. Yeah. You know, but, uh. Love hate relationship though. I like watching trailers. You know, sometimes. Oh, well, I'm, I'm addicted too. But if it's something Marvel or DC, I try nowadays to stay, stay away. Sometimes, like, I'm big with the casting. I love to hear, like, out, you know, new characters being casted for TV and film, you know, in regards to comic book stuff. Uh, I, you know, cause typically, uh, I'll give an opinion, yay or nay. Do I think this person can pull it off? Like I remember when I first found out, I, I, I thank you for any of you blog readers who have been with me since the beginning. You know, I did a little article uh, a few years back when I found out Jesse Eisenberg, uh, was cast to play Lex Luthor. I couldn't believe it. He actually ended up being a pretty awesome Lex Luthor, uh, you know, it was a little different take on Lex, a little bit less of, uh, I don't know how you describe it. It was more like a brooding, maniacal Lex. Uh, how would you describe it, Holden? Well, um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's We've Lex- had different Luthors before. Like, all of them super intelligent. Some had the big, tall, uh, muscular jock. Then sometimes that's you had like the, the Clancy Brown uh, Lex Luthor from the from the animated series. And then you had the uh, the 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 coward, and then uh, the like the super really well, like intelligent happen. Yeah, like uh, like sometimes Luthor is portrayed as a real super huge coward, and and in this case, that's kind of how he was portrayed by Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, and yeah, he, just the the smart guy who. Who, who just like rationalizes anything he wants, but he's super intelligent on top of that, so he's really dangerous. Cause he goes ahead and he makes all these thoughts and, oh, well, he's got the answers. Other people can't come up with the answers cause he's smart. And, uh, he goes and he uses the alien technology to go ahead and, and bond his DNA with, uh, the corpse of Zod and it turns into Doomsday. And, and I, I thought that was a pretty interesting, uh, twist. Um, cause I, from my knowledge, Doomsday was, was not, uh, created that way by Luther in the comic book at all. I don't remember. Um, but it was, was a, he was created by Luthor, right? He was created, he was definitely, most definitely created by Luthor. In fact, Lex Luthor is responsible for essentially creating a bunch of Superman's rogues, uh, including Bizarro, Parasite. Uh, and I, I want to say Metallo as well. I, I'm not positive on that one. He did in the animated series. Okay, so yeah. I, and I think he did in uh, the most recent incarnation of Action Comics. Um, Grant Morrison had an early run on Action Comics when the New 52 started. I read some of it. It um, Metallo's origin had everything to do with Luthor. So that's... Current enough, right? Right? Uh, absolutely, my friend. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, casting for the most part was great. Uh, few qualms. I didn't like Ezra Miller's Flash, but we haven't seen enough of him either. 
Uh, I didn't like that Gal Gadot didn't have very many lines, but overall, uh, casting was pretty solid. I thought, uh, you know, for the, the, the way they're gonna portray Aquaman. Now, uh, as we know, Aquaman is originally a white blonde man from Maine, uh, Arthur Curry, you know, uh, very Caucasian, very Aryan. Uh, he's now being played by Jason Momoa, who is a big jacked, Hawaiian guy with dreadlocks and, you know, there's, you know, it's a different take on the character, but I mean, they did have that Arthur Curry in the nineties. I remember with like, you know, the long hair and the beard and stuff. So I don't know if it's sort of, you know, what, I don't know what they're going for. I guess it'll be interesting to see how some of these justice league characters really come into manifestation. Well, Aquaman is like one of those characters within the DCU that hasn't really established his personality across all mediums yet. I mean, uh, the, I mean, they still playing around with his origin every once in a while. He doesn't really like, he's a really well-known character and he's been around for a long time, but he doesn't have any real famous story arcs. There's nothing really that defines him except that like, he's kind of a joke. He's like the joke hero. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. He's the guy I never really understood that. Like why? Like, yeah, you know, well, like people don't know that he's like super strong and, and he's got the trident and that he's like, they got the politics angle with him being a king. Eh, I mean, it's fine. I could, I can understand it. Cause like, he just, he's like one of those heroes that does a lot of things well, but never as good as every other member of the Justice League. And the thing is, is Aquaman can most definitely stand toe to toe and, and, and give everyone on the Justice League fits. I mean, a perfect example of that would be, uh, uh, Flashpoint Paradox. Um, I reference a lot of these DC animated features cause one, I love them. Two, they're fairly accurate to the source material. And three, they're easy for me to remember what happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, based off the Flashpoint uh, uh, event, big DC event before the New 52. Um, so in Flashpoint Paradox, Aquaman uh, obviously uh, leads his army of Atlanteans versus uh, Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, and her army of uh, Amazons. And the two of them go toe-to-toe and pretty much have the same outcome as, like, you know, when Superman fought Doomsday. It's like they're both, like, you know, killed each other at, like, the same time almost, you know? Uh, very cool stuff. But, yeah, Arthur Curry can – I mean – yeah, Superman would fuck him up, and Green Lantern would probably have a really decent chance of beating him, but Aquaman is definitely, you know, he holds his own. Uh, he's just, I hate when, when he's portrayed in, uh, animations and, uh, things of that nature, just, uh, as, as, you know, this, uh, blowhard, as oh, you put it. Yeah, yeah. No, from <laughs> Batman he's not. the Brave and the Bold, he yeah, yeah. seems like, uh, Hello a there, simple, gents. <laughs> a simple, a simple blowhard who's very noble and very much a muscly dude. Yeah, Batman Brave and the Bold's not a bad uh, intro to the DCU because he does a lot of different team ups with lesser known fringe characters. Yeah, I really like that. Like you'll see him, you know, the Batman team up with uh, like Ray Palmer, the Atom, or you'll see him team up with the Blue Beetle or uh, Green Arrow. You know. Uh, all kinds of different characters. It's very cool. It's a great way to, you know, if you aren't familiar, it's 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 a very lighthearted and funny uh, 
animation that that lets you gives you a taste of some of the other DC characters out there because I have to tell you uh you know DC has so many great characters that are kind of just sitting around in their vault that are very very underutilized uh sort of obscure but have the potential to be really amazing characters that can hold their own in the DCU these would be characters such as Blue Beetle or Booster Gold, maybe Grifter, maybe, I don't know, the Creeper. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But uh, that's the thing about DC. Marvel, uh, they're great at utilizing what they have in regards to characters. Uh, DC, they got a little bit more to learn. but So, uh you know, it's been great uh going over this movie. I was just so pumped that uh you know, I was able to get out and see it in a timely manner before all my friends were able to talk about it. Hold on, I know you're like a steel trap. You don't tell me anything, which is great because I uh of course hate spoilers as much as the next guy. But um yeah, no, like I finally like if starting to see these characters and, and, and let me tell you something, this movie, Batman vs Superman, Donna justice, especially, um, you know, it might've underwhelmed some movie critics. You know, it wasn't a movie, you know, once again, it wasn't a movie that was made for movie critics. It was made for comic book fans. Um, but, but these iconic characters, first time they've been on screen together. Um, I thought Zack Snyder just did a fantastic job, uh, with the characters, with the, with the direction that he, that he took things in, you know, he's trying to build a cinematic universe for DC and I think, uh, he's doing a bang up job for, for, uh, you know, how he's been going about it so far. Um, of course the casting, uh, you know, we mentioned there was a few things we'd change. We would probably would have changed or, or negated the whole death of Superman doomsday thing. Uh, at least for that movie, maybe have him show up, you know, in, in, in a movie down the road, have a death of Superman movie. Even that would be amazing. But, uh, you know, just like man of steel, that that's like the one thing about Snyder, uh, Zack Snyder, phenomenal filmmaker, but, uh, he does like to cram as much into his movies as he can. Sometimes it's just a, a little too much, but, um, Holden, Thanks for, uh, you know, being with me here talking about this phenomenal, uh, historical land benchmark in comic book film history. Um, it might not seem it at right now, but this is going to be a, a very, very special, uh, motion picture, uh, to be cherished, you know, for years and years to come. I guarantee it. I would bet thousands on that. So, uh, you know. Kudos to Zack Snyder, Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, and the gang. Kudos to you and me, Holden, for uh, staying vigilant and uh, providing vigilant uh, comic book and comic book movie news. And uh, we just want to remind you all to stay, stay vigilant. vigilant.